ahead of you. Well, yeah, I hope the future is very nice. Um, <laughs> I once watched England with Nick Compton. Uh, it was around the time he was organising the centenary dinner for his grandpa, Dennis. Yes, of course. We have mutual friends. Uh, and that is a good way into your career, Gavin Scovell, the son of Rex Bryan. You are kind of Prince, <laughs> Prince Rex. Um, it's very nice to have you here. Where are you? I am in Abu Dhabi at the moment, in halfway through my six days of quarantine. So I've got three down, three to go. And I would say it's fun. I mean, there's lots of windows and things to look at, but none of them open. And beautiful hotel, beautiful room, but... It's uh, quarantine, so there's not really a lot I can do. Are you watching Richard Quest on CNN? It's the only thing on CNN, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember we were in, was it Barcelona? Uh, 2007, I remember that because Becky Anderson had a show called Bex on Bex. It was when David Beckham had gone to America to play right. for LA. So I, I remember watching CNN on the telly and Richard Quest, whose mouth is enormous... Uh, but he is, uh, he's the guy who was the globetrotter who, uh, I think CNN business, that's his role. That's it, exactly. But you're in the media. Do you know Richard Quest? I don't actually know. I don't know. I'm not the political media. I'm in the sports media, slightly different. My bag is mainly live sports productions, you know, multi-camera events, that sort of thing. Crikey. So if we did the Michael McIntyre send to all, uh, I don't know if you've seen that programme because you're away a lot, but um, gets the celebrity's phone sends a crazy text message to everyone in the contacts and then hilarity ensues as the celebrities react to it. So if we send a message to all, who are the nicest people who would certainly reply to you? The nice, well, I like to think all my friends are nice, to yes. be honest with you. Brian Scovell will reply, and it was delightful oh, yeah. to get Brian in. Has he had a good month since he and I spoke? Is he healthy? He's, he's good, thanks. He had a, a, a wonderful lunch at the Cricket Writers Club. Uh, managed to get him out for that at the Oval a couple of days ago. Having not been out of the house for eight months, poor chap, he had a bad vaccine reaction. He's 85. But it didn't stop him. Uh, he was on fire. He was great. And uh, a lot of people came over and sat on his table. And, and I think the nicest thing for him there were there were two people on his table that did, weren't in the media uh, they were just punters, but actually they really enjoyed his company and they, they, they were male readers and they told him they'd been reading his column for years because he was at the mail for, for 40 years or 50 years, a long time. Uh, so he was really chuffed about that. So it was lovely to get him out and he, he's doing well, thanks. That is delightful. And then talking of lunches and dinners, I had a dinner with your cousin Tom uh, as a oh, thank you uh, for his appearance on it. He's led a life. Family affair, Johnny, you see. It's very nice. I feel like an adopted Scovel tier door, Chuck. Your brother from another mother, clearly. Right, right. No, it's, uh, it's lovely to have you. And, and handily, you aren't doing anything today. So uh, I've been... I always like having things in the diary, even if it's like nine weeks in advance. I'm going to a Christmas do in nine weeks' time, and I'm already thinking, yep, nine weeks to go. Uh, but yes, yeah, six days in quarantine. Why are you there? So I'm here for the World T20, the Cricket World Cup, T20 World Cup. Um, I'm a TV director. It's my first sort of job, my main job really is a TV director. So I direct all of the ICC's events uh, for cricket all over the world. There's three or four a year. And because last year was a bit spartan for obvious reasons, they've 
doubled up. So there's plenty going on the next year or two. So I'm pretty lucky to be involved in that and in a sport that I, that I really love too. Yeah, I mean, we will talk football, but I must talk cricket because I, I don't have a telly and I didn't have access to the Cricket World Cup final in 2019. How, how wow. close were you to the BBC's commentary team? BBC's, so I was in the car park in a truck with about 60 monitors and I was the director, so I was calling all the camera shots, the replays, the graphics and the commentators, we had our own commentators in the, the media centre. So I wasn't that close to them, although I was in the ear of a lot of the commentators. The BBC are in the com box next door to our, our host broadcast commentators. So not, not too far, probably about, I suppose, uh, a three iron away. I see, um, because I remember listening to the last bit of the final, and thus barest of margins has... Oh, yeah. imprinted itself. I can't remember the name of the chap who said it, but he was... Ian Smith. Ian Smith. Ian Smith. Yeah. Uh, but Aggers was there and my dear old thing, uh, Blowers, Absolutely. I think, was there at the time unless he'd retired. He'd retired by then. He yeah, had retired. But, uh, yeah. I have met Henry yeah. Blofeld. Uh, I was working for Fresh Air, the Edinburgh student radio station. He came in to plug his Edinburgh show and he did all the Blowers things that you'd expect him to do and he was he told the story about... Uh, Goldfinger and Blofeld and remarkable man. Does, is there a football equivalent of Henry Blofeld? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think there is. I don't think there'd be any equivalent to him because he's so so different and in a, in a lovely sort of way. Um, my story about Blowers just quickly was um, I got I signed up to play for the Lords Taverners cricket team. They heard oh. I played a bit, so they signed me up, and um, it was a um, where was it? Bewley or some beautiful location, and. Blowers was commentating on the microphone as the players came out. So he didn't know me, you know, and so he, he saw ruffling through his notes. And I walk out to bat and he goes, it's Scavell, it's it must be son of Brian, hey, Brian. And I hit a few fours, whatever, and got out. And he, and he said, and, then he, and as I walked out, he, he basically did an outro and he said, oh, wonderful little cameo from Scavell. He said, so, I'd like to talk a bit more about his father. Come over here, young man. And he cornered me and I, and I still have my pads on for about an hour talking to him. He, delightful chap, really was. Yeah. Oh, he is brilliant. And again, having the father involved in cricket journalism is not the reason you're in the, the job you are, uh, because you must be good at it. You can have all the nepotism you want. But if you're not good at what you do, and TV direction might be the hardest job outside rocket science and brain surgery, because you've got this big... We've all seen TV programmes about TV programmes. And you're calling all the shots, and you're kind of anticipating where the story's going to be, if you're That's directing right, it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if, if, and I, just, I don't just do cricket, I do. I've just done the Labour Cup, actually, in Boston. I just did that, which was great fun, working with Jim Courier and Mark Petchy and those guys. So I do Olympic Games, um, I do Wimbledons, I do um, Commonwealth Games I'm doing actually, So and football of course. So, that, you know, it, if you're the director, you are the eyes and ears of the production and you are basically living and breathing every moment. You're calling every camera cut, you are uh, motivating. A big part of it, two big parts of my job are bladder control because you sit there for hours and you, and you literally don't have time, especially on cricket. And the second part is motivation. You know, I have sometimes a crew of 150. For the World Cup final, I had 150 crew. It's all parts of a jigsaw puzzle. And some are, no one's more important than anyone else. So it's really important that you include everybody in to your spiel. 
because you end up talking a lot. And as you probably noticed, I'm very good at talking. Uh, if you're anything like Tom or Brian, um, <laughs> Olympic standard. Although you'd be up there against... That's a sport that Jewish people are very good at. There, there would definitely be a Jewish person. Not me. I'd probably be in the peloton. But yeah, I'd, I don't know if you have go-to anecdotes about your time covering TV, but when you are there, are you able to acknowledge the significance of the moment? Or because you're in work mode, is it like you're a sportsman yourself? It's very difficult to detach yourself from the event that you're working on. Well, it's a good question. The reason I worked in television was because I had a chance to make it as a professional cricketer, but I wasn't quite good enough. And it was about the time I went to uni and I got a bit distracted, as you do at that age. So I thought, blimey, you know, I've graduated. What am I going to do? You know, quite a bit of cricket, but that's about it. You know, getting an introduction to Sky, got an interview from Vic Wakeling, the head of sport. And I was a reporter at that time. And he said to me, listen, I've got a job for you. Can you go up to Newcastle tomorrow with me in the car and interview Kevin Keek? And this was... You know, 1995 or something, a long time ago. And I was just a pup, you know. So I said, yeah, of course, yeah. No problem interview Kevin Keegan. Didn't realise it was a live interview. And I'd never done a live interview. I'd come from a TV station, uh, a TV station at my university with about four people working for it. Anyway, um, walked up to Kevin Keegan, absolutely bricking it, both my knees trembling. And I said, I said to him, Kev, Kev, uh, can you do me a favour? I've, I've never done this before. I'm a bit nervous. He said, sure, mate. What's your name? So I said, Gavin. He said, leave it to me. So we go live. Three, two, one, cue. I'm shaking. I said, Kevin, tell us about you. Can you, you know, the match tomorrow? What are your ex- expectations or some rubbish question like that? And he said, well, Gavin, it's like this. And after that, I was quite relieved. He mentioned my name. It calmed me down. And uh, it sort of went on from there, really. So I was lucky he was my first interview, Kevin Keegan. That's wicked. And I've read Keegan's, well, he's got a recent book he's written with Danny Taylor, but I followed what Kevin did. He actually fell out of love with football for a while. He was more getting his handicap down in Marbella. And then he took the call. I think he took the call in the 90s because he did a lot of soccer schools as well. But you, are you of the age that you remember Keegan as Mighty Mouse playing for Hamburg? Well, I was probably a bit young for that, but I do, you know, I mean, I was under 10 or something, I can't remember. But yeah, I've, I remember watching him on the box because, you know, being who my father is, I, I was always on the box football, let's face it. The fact I support West Ham is down to the fact that my father, uh, Trevor Brooking, popped round to the house once because my father was writing his book and he gave me a little pendant and I liked the colours. I was about four and I've supported them ever since. Over 40 years later, I still support West Ham. You see, so not like my mates who will turn the turncoats and support Man United or Liverpool. I've stuck firm to West Ham and you I still are support them. West Ham through and through, which is my favourite thing That's about West Ham. I That's it. <laughs> are you able That's to right. catch... Did you work on the FA Cup final? Uh, I have worked on them in the past, yes. Uh, and I worked on the Premiership when I worked at Sky. So my job was I used to have to interview the crowd before the game mm. and they were called Vox Pops and we used to go around and you know and go around Main Road or somewhere two and a half hours before kickoff and try and find some people who wanted to talk about football if not make them up um, and then during the match I would sit in between and this was how long ago it was in between Richard Keyes <laughs> uh, and Andy Gray yeah uh, Gantry, yeah so they, they were g- uh, good lads and I had a good bit of banter with with uh, especially Andy Gray, quite an amusing guy to sit next to. And I would do the statistics of the match and all that. Now it's changed, it's a lot lot better. But back then it was just um, 
uh, a youngster like me on the gantry. Martin Tyler was there, so he used to sometimes make them a cup of tea. And uh, so, yeah, good memories. And then they put me in charge of a show called the Footballers Football Show. I don't know if you. I do remember that. Yeah. Remember that show? We used to go to the ground and, you know, say, for instance, Newcastle, you know, and that was in the days of Douglas Hall and Sir John Hall was still alive and Freddie Shepard. Sh- Freddie Shepard. We would have like a fans forum, and it was, it was a great show because you know if the, the floodgates were open. It was and it was it was all live. It was great stuff, and we went around all the grounds doing this footballers football show. Good fun. I remember watching your on Sky Sports, and I do remember Keys and Gray. Um, my Andy Gray story is that I was in was it Luton? Mum and I were going to Portugal, and I had Andy Gray's uh, memoir from two thousand and five. You may have been in it. And because the plane was delayed for five hours, uh, we sat, I sat and read that book. And obviously I don't like Andy Gray because I'm a Watford fan and something happened in 1984 that I'm sure Andy has talked to you about. This was the... He scored in an FA Cup final, uh, kicking the ball out of Stevie Sherwood's hands. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, but no, Keys and Gray, they were brilliant. Take up our son. Uh, were you there when he did said it the first time? No, I wasn't. I left by then because I was only there for a couple of years. I was at Sky and then they heard I played cricket and I got a call saying, listen, do you want to um, go to New Zealand with the England team on tour, carry some bags and, you know, do a bit of whatever a- a- assistant producing? And I, and I was, you know, in my early 20s, I was like, yeah, absolutely. So uh, they sent me off to New Zealand and, um, and then I ended up spending a couple of years out in New Zealand, actually, um, and, and ultimately directing in, in my late 20s. So it was it was a sort of a twist of fate, but a positive one, I think. Great time to be out. I've got a friend, Dr. Nick Brown, uh, grew up in Bushy and is now in New Zealand doing wonderful things as an engineer. Uh, and I've got a friend in Auckland as well. My friend Laura is over there. And uh, yeah, yes. where I live. Oh, well, yeah. New Zealand has come out very, very well over the last 20 years. Not just Hobbit tourism, but Jacinda doing wonderful things and Flight of the Concords, yeah, Jermaine and Brett. Absolutely. Wonderful country with, with great people. And I just want to mention one person here who got me over there. Uh, it was the late, great Martin Crowe, the um, great New Zealand cricketer, if you, if you remember. He, he died, unfortunately, about five years ago now. But he was my he got me over there to work for Sky in New Zealand. And uh, I had a show that I did called Cricket Company with Danny Morrison was there. And, um, and it was the first time Danny started working. And, and we had some great times. And I stayed with, her, with Martin Crowe and we became good mates. Um, and then, um, this is how weird everything is, uh, 2000, fast forward the clock, I'm producing Channel 4 Cricket in England, uh, I think it's 2001, and we won, uh, we, we had the crew had to win a BAFTA, and you know, it was Richie Benno, and I was name dropping a bit here, but all the Channel 4 legends were there, and we went up on stage, a group of us to, to collect it, and, and who presented it, but Martin Crowe, oh. the guy that gave me my break, but the story doesn't end there. It ends, unfortunately, he passed away um, at, at, the, at the very young age of 51. And um, the match that the ICC decided to do is two-minute silence was in Nagpur, India, in the, I think, 2017 World Cup. And I was directing the match. So I did his... He gave me my big break. He presented us with a BAFTA, and then I did his two-minute silence. It, I mean, it was ridiculous. And he lives in New Zealand, and I live in London. It's crazy. That is... That's the global world in which we live. And this seems to be a wonderful story. There is one book, uh, two, hang on, there's one book by a TV executive and one book by a TV director in the football library. Paul Armstrong, 
Armo, who did yeah. it was the editor of Match of the Day. Uh, I'm talking in uh, hopefully the next week to Brian Barwick. Oh yes, legend of Grandstand and and BBC Sports. Absolutely uh, right. Yeah. I wonder if he can say much about the National League, which uh, he stood down from. But that's a I don't know how much you follow the National League. No, oh, I don't. I'll, I'll come. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Well, he will he will be explaining that as well as his love of Liverpool FC to me because he's written a book following up his time in TV uh, with this book all about following Liverpool, but very, very well-respected executive. Yes. Is, is that role, being an executive, just empathy, kindness and being very good under pressure? Well, um, I, I'd say the most important part of it is is dealing with pressure. You just that you get used to. It's like, you know... There's a lot of stress, but it's not stress like a doctor has or an airline pilot has. If you make a mistake, somebody dies. For us, the screen goes black. But, you know, when you know you got uh, that World Cup final idea, we had 1.2 billion viewers. That's one in six almost people on the planet watching it. That's absurd. No, it's true. Mainly in the subcontinent. But still, you just think, I don't want to make them, I don't want to cut to the wrong thing at the winning (laughs) moment. You know, I can't make that mistake. But you just trust yourself and you have your generals and you have your people in the right positions that you work with for years. And and it's almost like, uh, you know, having having a a group of friends that you go away with and you trust. The easy part's turning up. I always say 80% of success is turning up, then it'll be fine. The rest of it is luck and a combination of a few things. But if you've got the right people on the day, you'll be fine. Yeah, muscle memory. You turn up anywhere in the world, as you are doing at the... So it's the T20 World Cup. How many teams are involved? Well, there's more this year because they've let some associate nations in. So there's teams like Oman, Papua New Guinea, Ireland, Scotland, Netherlands and Sri Lanka. Those teams are playing off first for a week in the, the group stage. And then after that, the big boys come in, like your West Indies, your England, your Australias. So uh, I think there's something like 14 or 15, I'm not sure. But uh, it'll, it'll all be, you'll see it, it'll be on Sky in the UK for the next month or so. It start, all starts in the middle of them. I think the 17th, it starts in Oman. So I'm off to Oman in a couple of days to kick it off there. Um, and then I come back here to Abu Dhabi for, the, for all the matches here in the semi-final. Yeah, I'm just looking at the matches here. They do start, uh, as we're talking, on the 11th of October, uh, a couple of days after Newcastle have been bought by Saudi, but enough has been enough about that. I'm not interested. Um, although I'm very lucky that we played, Watford played Newcastle just the other week. The final is on November the 14th. 11th. Semi-finals 10 and 11. So it's good. So you, you've now got six weeks odd in Abu Dhabi. Are you excited to be there? Uh, yeah, uh, look, I used to live in Dubai. I spent a couple of years here back in the day. So, uh, yeah, I like it. You know, I'm, I'm lucky to be working, to be honest. I know that a lot of people aren't working in this industry. So, uh, yeah, it's good to be working. It's difficult with the bubble thing. And you have to add a week or two onto every job you do, which isn't easy. But lucky I've got understanding family and, I, and it's because it, it takes a toll on you. And you've got to be able to deal with it. I mean, you hear a lot of things about mental health in, in hotel rooms and you know, it, it's hard work. I've just come before this. I was, like I said, I was in Boston before that I was in uh, the Caribbean for a month for the Caribbean Premier League. And yeah, it sounds great. St. Kitts for a month, Marriott Beach Resort, but actually you couldn't leave your hotel only to go to the ground. So it, it's, it was a bit groundhog day, but you know, at the end of the day it's work and you know, if it's it, it could not, it might be in the not so uh, more salubrious place or not. But 
you just get on with it. Really. And you're you're not the only one because there's a whole crew who go with. Are you employed by the ICC or by Sky? Well, ICC. So ICC, I have a production company called Kingsdown, and then ICC employed me, employed right. me and my business partner to basically put together production. So this one is a star have employed me because Star Sports and in India are in charge of it. But for most of the other events uh, we do, we we end up crewing it uh, with Sunset and Vine are our partners. So Ooh. Kingsdown and Sunset. Yeah, Body Sunset and Vine. Yeah, so we that that's kind of how it works, and, and it's good to be able to see something through from the genesis where you're actually crewing it, um, and you're you're and and you're in the meetings. You go to recce's, you fly there maybe a few months before, check it, check out the grounds, the stadiums, the pitches, everything, uh, and then you turn up with a crew of over 100. The here's about 120, I think, um, and you just get down and work, and it takes three or four days to set all the cameras up get everything right, test all the kit, you know, satellite, everything else. Yeah, it's, it's a busy time, but it's a very exciting time. Crikey. And then who is the talent? Who are you working with? Blimey, there's a lot of them on this, but uh, the ones you'll know, probably Mike Atherton, uh, you know, Nasser Hussain, then we've got uh, well, Danny Morrison, Mark Nicholas is here, and then from all over the world, really, Harsha Bogle from India, Anjum Chopra, Isha Guha um, from our... We've got Shane Watson, Dale Stain, uh, doing a few matches, who recently retired, both of them. Um, and the usual favourites, the, the, most of the usual people you'll see, them, so Russell Arnold, gosh, uh, Bazid Khan from Pakistan, West Indies, we've got Ian Bishop, the legendary Ian Bishop. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's probably 20 or so commentators. Yeah, yeah, good, very big in the box. I will certainly listen if TMS are covering any of it, but... I will try. I don't have Sky, but I'll try and hop it to Bosley's in Watford to see all the camera angles and your choices of uh, of shots. A good Watford, a good Watford boy. I, I, I trained at the former head of the press uh, for Watford, Scott Field, who's now did big things at the FA, head of comms at the FA. He's a big Watford man. Ah, I should and, get uh, in touch. I didn't know that. First, yeah, he's one of the first people I ever media trained because I also media train um, when I'm not directing. I, I train commentators, presenters, and reporters. And I do it by Zoom. I have been doing it by Zoom, and, and that's good fun. And, it, and I do that all over the world, um, training them in, in broadcasting, which is which is great fun. Yeah, well, it is, and we'll get to that in the second half, as well as memories of football. Gavin Scovell is here. You haven't written a book yet. No, I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't be very interesting at the moment. I'm, I'm sort of waiting. <laughs> Maybe, I think one day I would like to, Johnny. Just not yet. Yeah, well, you are in one. You're in Thank You, Herman Goering, which is Brian Scovell's recollection. Yeah. Uh, Brian is... Yeah, I made it in the book just, I think. And you, not you, the most peaceful title either, was it? <laughs> a couple of sentences. But yes, you're, you're not on the cover. You don't make the cover, unfortunately, which I'm sure you, uh, you don't mind because your, your dad has had a heck of a life and met... All these people, but ultimately he's from the Isle of Wight. So has he passed down that kind of Isle of Wight island pride to you? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, well, you know, growing up as a kid there was, was always a privilege, a lovely place to go. I have some close relatives still there. My cousin we're very close to. Uh, but not really, no. I mean, ever since I was born, I'm, I'm from Kent, Bromley, Beckenham, famous for H.G. Wells, David Bowie and now Emma Raducanu, Bromley. Correct. Since then, I've lived in London, so I'm Fulham now, but before then I was Wandsworth. So I've always been Londoner, really. Uh, born and bred Londoner, um, I suppose. 
So not much affinity with the island, but, you know, um, just growing up, I was very lucky because my my mum, who deserves a lot of credit here, um, my mum, who who sadly passed away 20 years ago, was a a self-taught artist. So, and my dad is a sports journalist. So I had this bizarre upbringing in art galleries and press boxes. So you can imagine, you know, I, and now I'm an artistic TV director. So I kind of, and yeah. there's not really much I could do, to be honest. I kind of fell, I fell into it that way. But I'm very lucky to have had such um, dedicated and artistic parents. That's the key, because in my lifetime, the nature of televised sport, helped by Vic Wakeling, who is a genius, from what I've read, passed away a few years ago and was... Um, wow. Uh, was was mourned was really it was because I even I know the name Vic Wakely I know that he and Sam Chisholm Chisholm was kind of the Rottweiler but Vic seems That's to be right. the brains of TV coverage those were the days Johnny in the 90s working at Sky it was a very different place and they wouldn't have got away with it now the mm. language was extremely choice and um, you know uh, I, it was a very different place to work um, and it wasn't all bells and whistles it was a tough place to work blimey um, standards. No, it's, I, I guess it was I like at the mail with Paul Dacre. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember once going to ask for a pay rise. I mean, I was on a pittance anyway. I was a youngster, and I walked into an office. I won't name in names, and I got told in no uncertain terms of where to go, even before I'd said anything. You know, mm. so that was the end of the pay rise. But um, no, you know, tough place. And as it is, television is. It's very long hours, and you know, we, I was living on the M1 up and down the M1 because we had obviously. I had a Friday night football show I did, and that was with Anna Walker and Paul Dempsey. And then we'd have Super Sunday, the, fo- the live football, and Monday night football. Mm-hmm. So we would go, you know, Super Sunday might be in Southampton, and Monday night football might be in Newcastle. So, you know, you can imagine it was a lot of time on that motorway. Yeah, I was only there. I was only on the football for a couple of years, like I said, before I went, got into the cricket. Well, well I remember the, the slow motion replays, the over-the-shoulder replay, the reverse angle. That was quite new in the early 1990s and it was sky's money that say what you want about who owns the club and how many billions go around the world it's the product but sky took the baton from the bbc and itv turned it into a product and you made these stars obviously shira was a big star before but the it's fascinating to look at the early days of the premier league and see what Sky were doing because they were they were playing a very long game. And now, thirty years hence, you've got what I call the professional form of professional footballer (PFPFs) who exist. I don't know if you've watched Sky's football coverage recently, but it's turned into a soap opera where Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville are the main characters, and the football is a yeah. sideshow. Yes, it has. I mean, what, one thing that Sky did really well, and they set the template, was that, like you said, the way. The quality of the the way it was televised, the number of cameras in different positions, and I did this with the cricket as well. Um, it, and they experimented, and they realised that you know you could make a product like football even sexier. And they had the stars, they had the best league in the world. You know, I remember you know those times when Blackburn won the Premier League. You know, you would laugh about that now, but it wasn't that long ago. Um, but yeah, they, they really threw the, the, the book at it, and actually, you know, what they were producing was was world class. It really is. And I, you know, having worked in many countries and lived in five countries, I can tell you that the the, the quality of broadcasting in Britain is second to none. I would say only America really 
uh, comes close, you know, and I, I, I say I'm not going to be very popular with Australians, and I say this, but I've lived in Australia, New Zealand, America, and England, and Dubai, and I'll say that the quality of production is is well second to none in England, really. America, they throw more things at it, um, but I would say the yeah, English people they, they use less people on a production, but they're better people. I would love to know some of the names, if you don't mind, uh, because Paul Paul Armstrong comes across. Uh, working on Match of the Day, assisting various uh, editors of the programme. And that's a hard job. Getting highlights, picking storylines, working with the talent. But are there any of your contemporaries who are garlanded in, what well, Olympics probably, I should say, because they're probably the best of the best. So who were TV uh, artistic directors at the Olympics with you in Tokyo? Well, you... If I, if I wind the clock back to the 90s, we had people like Mark, Martin Turner, who was an ex- amazing director. He did a lot of the sky boxing in the early days, the Formula One for many years. Um, and he was somebody I looked up to. Uh, there were some very good producers there at the time, people like Mark Pierman. Uh, Paul McNamara, who's ITV, he's also a friend. You know, he's somebody that, that came through about that time. Olympics, I guess there's a lot of different people that they show up and there's a pool of directors and producers that work. I was supposed to work on Tokyo last year, but it, got, it obviously got called off. But I did uh, London 2012, I did the volleyball, and I did Rio 2016, and I did rowing, cycling, and marathon on Copacabana Beach, which sounds better than it was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was that the one that was interrupted, Rio? I don't know about interrupted, but there was a live death on air, which we had to cover, which was pretty... Uh, mm. The only time I can actually say I've done that which was one of the, in a cycling race, and it was around, it was in Rio, and it was, uh, the poor man was an, is an Iranian cyclist, and th- there was a point in, in the race where the, the women overtook the men's race, and without going into too much detail, because it was pretty gory, there was a crash, and the poor fellow was announced dead, but they had to get in touch with his next of kin before they announced it on air. And um, we came back on air at six o'clock to do the highlight show, and and. I'll never forget it. I had Rishi Passat, the mm-hmm. uh, very experienced. Yep. Yeah, a lovely guy from Trinidad, good friend of mine. And um, we went on air, and he threw over to Claire Balding. Said Claire's got some news. Claire threw the ball straight back to him and said, "No, Rishi, what's the, what's the latest?" And uh, so he, the poor fellow had to stand there and say, and, he, and I had the press release. So I'm fumbling this press release about this guy. I couldn't get his name wrong or anything because you know you're saying he's died, um, and through an earpiece, Rishi sort of paraphrased what I said and did it brilliantly. And I I would say, slow down, take a breath, look down, take a breath, Mm. because he's reading this. Uh, And it was was really amazing. And he did brilliantly because he he kept it together. Um, But announcing a live death on any sports bulletin is is something you never thought you would do. Well, he's a horse racing commentator, so he would have reported on horses that were injured and jockeys who were seriously injured. But yes... Death. It is yeah, not something yeah. one wishes on any commentator. 